Welcome to episode 5 of the Almost Always Never podcast. I'd like to thank Reed 4 for the use of their song Slow from the album Bedford to Bellmead. You can find the show notes for today's episode on the podcast website, and that's at www.aanpodcast.com. In today's episode, I'll be talking about my November 2018 picture book newsletter. The first picture book that I had for the November 2018 newsletter was Hidden Figures, the true story of four black women and the space race, and it's by author Margot Lee Shetterly with Winifred Con- and it's illustrated by Laura Freeman. Some of you may have seen the really, really great uh, movie that came out not too long ago, and it was a movie based on the book Hidden Figures, and it had Taraji Henson, Octavia Spencer, Janelle Monet, and a lot of other um, really big actors, and I went, I went to see it. I thought it was wonderful, and I haven't gotten around yet to reading the actual book, so in the meantime, I'm reading the picture book, and the picture book is great in its own way. I'm really in love with the illustrations. Most of the artwork, it's got either the clothes that the people are wearing have really bold geometric designs on them, or the background behind the characters. It has like math equations or blueprints or even or models or engineering or something like that. So I thought that was an interesting decision just visually for the book and it really works. The picture book covers the contributions that the computers, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see it, that the computers, what the actual people used to be called, of uh, Dorothy Johnson Vaughn, Mary Winston Jackson, Catherine Coleman Goebel Johnson, and Dr. Christine Mandarden. If you've seen the movie, it just sort of necessarily for the timeline of, you know, keeping it brief, um, as a movie plot. It sort of centers around the John Glenn orbiting Earth in the 1960s. And this book covers that too, but I think it does a more complete job of reaching back to the 40s, kind of giving each character an indi- a more individual timeline of their specific contributions. So I like that about the book too. I think if you've seen the movie and you loved it, you should pick up the book just to get a clearer picture of who these individual women were. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book yet, and you pick up this picture book, I guarantee it will interest you in their story because these women really were remarkable and it really seems like in the movie and in this book too that they're they were very talented and they were so intelligent but their intelligence was matched by this incredible persistence the movie and the book both they show Catherine just repeatedly trying to get recognized for her work to have her name on the reports to be involved to be recognized for what she was contributing and you see Mary Jackson fighting for her graduate level education and you see Dorothy Vaughn. There's a scene in the movie where she gets, where she's forced out of a library, but not before she's gotten a copy of a Fortran programming language book. It, it is true that she learned Fortran and that she taught it to her staff. I don't know that the library incident didn't happen. I mean, I have no way of knowing that. It's They show it in the movie, but the picture book does not. So maybe that's explained a little better in the adult version of Hidden Figures. So I'll have to read it to find out. The book introduces Christine Darden. I don't remember her having a role in the movie. I don't know if I'm just forgetting about her, but it says her work involved sonic booms when she began work at Langley in 1970, excuse me, 1967. And I guess she uh, worked to improve aircraft designs that were flying at supersonic speed. So anyway, I really liked this book, Hidden Figures, the picture book. I highly recommend it. I recommend the movie. Absolutely. I wouldn't say that Kevin Costner, that, you know, it's, it's hard for his performance to shine brighter than the three women's stories because they picked, I felt like the women they chose for the cast for the movie were just perfect. The one scene though that Kevin Costner's character I think really nails is like, and it's been a while since I saw the movie, but he's just so just disappointed with the idea that like we have bigger things to do here.
here. We have more important things that we need to focus on. And we're just, as a country, that we're allowing racism and old, tired, very useless prejudices to hold us back from what could be this brilliant scientific work and progress, space progress, progress for as a humanity, you know, just, and he's just so, his character in that scene was just so tired of it all, just weary of having to get through all this nonsense so that we can move on to the important stuff. So obviously I liked the movie, you can probably tell. But anyway, I will close out this book with a couple of quotes from the author's note. So this is author Margot Lee Shetterly with Winifred Conkling, and it says, Hidden figures is very much a work of imagination, the kind of imagination that it took to believe that it was possible to orbit a person around the earth. The same kind of imagination that led Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to dream of an America that would bestow the blessings of democracy on all its citizens, regardless of what they look like, where they came from, or who others perceive them to be. It's my hope that the heroines of Hidden Figures will spark the imaginations of the next generation of readers and the next generation of scientists, mathematicians, and engineers, and encourage them to ride their dreams as high as their talent and determination will take them. So that is Hidden Figures. My next picture book pick was Vincent Comes Home by Jessica Bagley and Aaron Bagley. A little bit lighter note, so I feel like emotionally on the November picks for some reason we have like a few tearjerkers and then some light ones too, so I don't know why I picked it that way. It just happened. But this one, I honestly didn't know what to expect. I didn't have any particular expectations when I picked it up, but I ended up actually really liking it. It's a pen and watercolor and it's got a pretty simple plot. Actually, I'll just read the synopsis that I wrote for it because it kind of, there's not a whole lot more to it than this. It's just a really charming book. It says, Vincent is a cargo ship cat and life is good. He does as he pleases and thinks no one notices him much. He's fascinated by one place he's heard of, but not yet visited. I'd like to go to home one day. Vincent gets the chance to visit home and and home is capitalized, capital H. So he, he thinks it's a city, you know, he thinks it's a place, but back to the synopsis, sorry. Vincent gets the chance to visit home only to realize that it's different than he envisioned. And just when he's resigned himself to being a one wandering admirer of the stars, a friend comes along to remind him that he has a place to belong after all. So essentially, Vincent is a cargo ship cat and he hears the other crew members on the ship. They're always talking about home. You know, it's like, I can't wait to get home. One of these plans that they're going to make when they get to home. So he thinks it's a city. He thinks it's this amazing city. And when they finally dock at, I guess, home port for all of them, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's not, it's pretty vague. I mean, everybody kind of disembarks and heads to their homes. And so he follows them and he's kind of, you know, you see little different scenes of people homecomings and he's like okay like I don't understand <laughs> basically he's like I thought this was gonna be a great place but I, I don't belong here so this doesn't mean much to me kind of deal and he's kind of sad and so he's um there's finally at the end there's a scene where he's he's sort of just on his lonesome in this city and he says home isn't just a place he thought home is where the people who love you are I guess I don't have a home he kind of I mean it's I'm making it sound more sad than it is. It's it's a it's a pretty upbeat book, but it says Vincent padded around and looked up at the quiet night sky. At least the stars would always be there. And he's, you know, he's staring up at the moon and the stars and just kind of pensive little cat. And someone kind of comes along and recognizes him and picks him up, takes him to his home. So it's got a pretty, you should probably be able to see the end of it coming, the conclusion. But it just, I really liked this book. It was sweet. It was just sort of a simple story. So sometimes stories like that just are the winners, you know, they 
have good illustrations, kind of charming little drawn characters or whatever, and then just a basic simple story about something that's universal to everyone. Everybody wants to have a place to call home and people to call home. So I really liked it. And that was Vincent Comes Home by Jessica and Aaron Bagley. I also liked the story of the Bagleys too. The back cover tells you that what started off as a courtship of doodling and sketchbooks and making each other laugh soon turned into a marriage of doodling and sketchbooks and making their son laugh. Vincent Comes Home is the first picture book they have created together. And much like Vincent, they have moved around a lot, but their home has always been each other. So that was Vincent Comes Home. And then I didn't really plan it this way, but I guess continuing the theme of home, I picked up the book Mustafa by Marie-Louise Gay. And this is just a really beautiful story about an immigrant child. You you don't get a lot of specifics, like that he's not from a specific country. You can narrow, I suppose, you can narrow down the possible countries just based off his name, but there's really no reason to do that. He's sort of standing in for, the, for every immigrant child's experience, the experience of coming to a country that isn't your own, being pretty bewildered by everything that's happening, the language and the, the people aren't familiar, the language which isn't familiar nothing about this place feels like home you think until and you know the thing I liked about this story was that he sees little moments in the days he sees sort of a thread of moments that remind him of other things like he gets reminded of his grandmother's teacups or a song that his uncle played things that were familiar in his old country that he sees here in this new country and it really helps bring him out of his sort of shell of isolation a little bit I said in the newsletter and um, one of the most powerful scenes for me in this book is that he has, Mustafa has um, drawn a picture in the sand and it says, Mustafa draws an airplane in the sand. He draws the house he used to live in. He draws clouds of smoke and fire. He draws broken trees. And then this uh, this other little girl has been trying to play with him. But he he kind of avoids her. He doesn't, he's not sure what she's saying and he's kind of uncomfortable. So he hasn't really interacted with her yet. So he's, he's drawn this picture and she comes up and uh, tries to engage him and he runs away. And it says, the girl draws flowers, butterflies, and stars. She draws her cat. The clouds of smoke and fire disappear. So do the broken trees. And I just, you all probably know by now that like some children's books and picture books, I just can't get through without tearing up. This was absolutely one of them. It's powerfully done. It's masterfully done. This idea of taking this these horrible uh, traumatic experiences that he's had and things that he's seen. And just number one, I mean, I've never had to go through anything like that. Being, you know, my experience is the little girl's experience. So being um, being in an environment where the pictures that I draw are happy, pleasant pictures. So it's working on that level to be so grateful for to live in peace and prosperity and that kind of thing while so many other places in the world are just literally burning. But then also that beauty for ashes kind of, the transformative power of beauty and friendship and community and connection and its ability to transform our pain. So that scene in the book was just, can't tell you how long I sat there with that one. So I think Marie Louise Gay has just done such a wonderful, amazing job with this book. If you can, you know, I don't, I don't know if she specifically set out to say like, I'm going to draw a, I'm going to create an inspirational children's picture book about fleeing violence as a child, as an immigrant. That would have been a monumental task if anybody asked me to do that. So I just, I think what she's done here is pretty remarkable. But it's not sad. I mean, parts of it are sad. It's more thought provoking than anything else. And the thing is that it's not that he's being bullied. It's just he's very hesitant. Well, he's hesitant and he's finding it difficult to make 
connections in this new country. There's one scene where he kind of goes back to his mom and he says, uh, Mama asks Mustafa, am I invisible? And she's just, you know, she's trying to be cheerful throughout the book, trying to help his transition. And she's like, if you were invisible, I couldn't hug you, could I? Answers his mama. And so she's trying to meet some of his frustration with positivity. And like any good transition, it's super slow. And he finally manages to make a connection with the little girl, the same little girl that did the drawing. I really like the calm, peaceful way that the book ends because they're sort of, they're, they're feeding the fish in a little koi pond. It looks like an autumn day. It's just a calm autumn day. And so the very end of the book is just, they finally find a way to introduce themselves and says, the girl points to herself and says something. It sounds like Maria. It also sounds like music, happy music. Then she points to Mustafa. He understands. Mustafa, he says. Maria smiles. Mustafa doesn't feel invisible anymore. And one thing that I did learn from this book that I that I hadn't really had a reason to look up before this moment, but now I know some random facts. And according to Wikipedia, Mustafa is one of the names of the Prophet Muhammad, and the name means chosen, selected, appointed, preferred. The book doesn't make doesn't bring that up or anything. That's just something I went looking for online. But I really, in light of what the story says and how he feels invisible, and I can't imagine that a child having to flee violence in their home country would feel particularly chosen or preferred. So I thought it was really nice that she, uh, I don't know what her thought process was for choosing that name, but I like the connection there. So, and the illustrations are, I feel as though Marie Louise Gay probably has a, uh, a signature kind of illustrated style. I'm not familiar with a lot of her other books, but she probably has a distinctive style that people would recognize. But the artwork for this one was, it says the illustrations were done in watercolor, ink, colored pencil, water soluble art wax crayon, soft pastel, HB and 6B pencil and collage. And I really enjoyed the illustrations in this one. So that was Mustafa by Marie-Louise Gay. My next picture book choice was Sometimes You Fly by Catherine Applegate and illustrated by Jennifer Black Reinhardt. There's a sticker on the cover. I guess a book list did a review of it and it calls it a natural successor to Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. And I really agree with that. This is one of those inspirational rhyming kind of books. I think the Dr. Seuss Oh, the Places You'll Go is famous and longstanding and enduring for a reason. I don't know that Sometimes You Fly will be but it was it was really enjoyable. I liked it a lot and I do see the connect the parallel that they're making. So the book it kind of reminds me of like a picture book version of the if anyone's ever played the board game Life. It's sort of like that. It's sort of like a full circle life timeline story in rhyme. It follows this formula of at least in the very beginning of the book, it's all the um the lead up, uh, I don't want to say failures, but the lead up learning steps, the mistakes and the failures and the false starts and some of some of the disasters that we make before we succeed and it's like before this before this before this and it'll show a mess or whatever and then the next page will have the success so it's mess to success and just to give you an idea of what the rhyme scheme is each recipe we undertake can rise or fall can burn or bake but when we break we learn to mend when breezes blow we learn to bend so it kind of goes on like that all the things that we try and fail and try and fail and just it takes a while to get it right and then like the illustrations will show you on the other side of that learning and how you've made it to the other side and you've mastered it and you know how good it feels to have mastery over a thing that you've been trying to learn. This book has lovely rhymes but the real strength of it is just the illustrations in this book are so humorous. Everybody's been there. Everybody has had you know the science experiment blew up and that look on your face of just uh, shock. Or there's one, there's a two-page spread panel where there's a broken vase 
And it's it's just adorable because the uh, the little boy's with his, I think it's a poodle. I'm going to call it a poodle. He's with his pet poodle and they're both wearing these signs. And his it started off saying, I, the little boy said, I am sorry. And he's crossed it out and he's put, we are sorry. <laughs> And the little dog is just, he looks just as guilty and sad and he's wearing the sorry sign. And just to give, like, just to paint it out a little more, they're both, for whatever reason, they're both wearing alien antenna. I'm not sure why. This is just one of the funny illustration panels. So I think they did a really good job of that. But there's another one of, I don't know if this is everybody's experience or just mine, but they're at a dance recital and everybody is turned one way in, in coordination and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And there's uh, one girl who turned to the wrong direction. So she's facing the audience audience and she's just horrified. So yeah, been there. So I really recommend this book. I could, I, I see what they're saying. Like people like to give the, oh, the places you'll go book as like a graduation present in May for like high school graduation. I could see this being that too. It might hit, it might, you might need to give this like a little bit younger though, because I, for me personally, middle school and high school were those years where it was mistakes galore. I made a lot of mistakes after that point, obviously, but those were more of a personal nature <laughs> relationship wise. I'm, I'm thinking like not so much uh, trying to do things and failing and being discouraged like that. I feel like was more of a middle school, high school problem. So I think this book could be really helpful in that regard because it can, it may sound dumb, but even middle schoolers and high schools, if you keep that rhyme in your head, like they have at the end of this book, and it says, what matters most is what you take from all you learn before the cake. You could use before the cake as some kind of mental reminder of eggs get broken. The kitchen is a total disaster sometimes before you figure out how to be a good baker. (laughs) I had a blog post up on the blog not too long ago about I tried to make donuts in my cast iron skillet and it was a total disaster just from beginning to end. Like the I came up with nothing edible at the end. So obviously the answer is not get super frustrated and throw the thing across the kitchen and say no more, never again. That's not going to work. So even at my age, this book is still, the, I think that that's where the humor comes from is you can recognize yourself still in a lot of these scenarios. And it is helpful sometimes to, if someone is considering giving up without really trying and practicing, you can kind of remind them everything that you know how to do now in your life, you didn't know at some point, not everything came immediately and naturally. So, and for a young budding scientist or creator or anybody who's going to be involved in those kind of fields, the ability to to not get frustrated and not quit. I think if home is a theme in this month's picture book newsletters, then persistence is as well. I mean, I believe it was Edison who said, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. That's always been an inspirational quote to me. So that is Sometimes You Fly. And I will just a note on the artwork, the illustrations in this book were done in ink and watercolor, and they are funny. And then the next book I have is Seb and the Sun, and that's Seb, S-E-B, as in Sebastian, so Seb and the Sun, by Jamie Dijot. And the synopsis I wrote for this one is, Seb lives in a coastal town in the far north. In the winter, the days feel like night because the sun doesn't shine. Seb and his friend Walrus row out to sea to try and capture some sunlight to bring back to the village. What I enjoyed most about this story was the friendship between Seb and Walrus, which is mostly inferred from the illustrations because Walrus doesn't use English to communicate with Seb. And I also admire Gijot's artistic ability to use a very dark color palette, yet still manage to infuse it with light. And she's using, um, says the 
illustrations were rendered in pencil and digital paint. It would almost be better if you could find the cover of this and look at what I mean, but she's somehow managed to, all of the colors are so dark and yet that's not a problem. <laughs> you know, I almost don't know how to explain it. You would think that it's just that it would almost be off-putting and difficult to read because it's so dark and she's used so many dark colors, but that's not it at all. It's uh, This is probably what she was thinking, but it makes the illumination the focus of the story. And she's managed to, in these illustrations, when he finally does when he and walrus do capture the sun or some sunlight i guess it glows it just glows inside like incandescently inside these containers that he has and you feel the light so much because it's been absent through so much of the story and so i enjoyed the story just on its own merits but i also kind of like how i highlighted the rodeo book in the first podcast this book seems to illustrate it's sort of a pacific northwest kind of town sort of an alaska coastal town it seems to illustrate it in just a fairly normal way it's not necessarily making any of the coastal village life elements any kind of exotic thing it's just he goes around handing his uh, sunshine out to the different village the villagers and it says seb's sleepy coastal town was no longer cold dreary and dark as night but beautifully aglow it's not the most terribly deep story. It's just kind of a searching for the light, finding light in dark, cold times, that kind of thing. And so it was it was inspiring. It was um, the friendship that he and Walrus has is sweet. And I liked that they highlighted sort of a more unusual location that you don't see in a lot of children's picture books. But honestly, the thing that it made me think of the most is going to be kind of a strange connection, but bear with me. There's been a podcast that I've been listening to lately, and it's called Everything is Alive. And I haven't, it's not that I've been crazy about all the episodes, but this one episode in particular has just been wonderful. And it's called Maeve Lamppost. The idea behind this podcast is that it's sort of an imaginary interview between the podcast host and these inanimate objects and sort of the lives that they lead. And it's interesting in a way to think about the spaces around us and the objects around us and what they see and what they would imagine their role in our, <laughs> in our, uh, comings and goings might be. And this one is just particularly charming. It's got Maeve Higgins. She's the voice of the lamppost. And she's just, she's had quite an existence. But I'll just, I'm going to play a little bit of it because I really think if uh, if this idea sounds charming at all to you, I think you would love this episode. And I'm going to drop the link for it into the show notes in case anybody's interested. I should explain at this part that I'm going to play. They go into this extended conversation (laughs) about singing in the rain and Gene Kelly and, you know, how a lamppost figured quite prominently in that dancing in the, in, sorry, in the singing in the rain scene, which uh, I mean, singing in the rain, I love that movie. And so I'm listening to this podcast and it was just like, it was all the emotion all at once with this, like what should be just a silly idea, you know, a lamppost telling you about its life, but it worked for me. I, I was totally charmed by this podcast. You know, it's just, um, it's just audio, but we could, um, make a movie right now. Yeah? Yeah, we just, like, um, we start by, you know, first we'll, we'll bring up a little sound. Uh, and, and then just, like, um, yeah, like, exterior Brooklyn. Yeah. Nighttime, nighttime, because if you wanted me to be on. Yeah. So it's that you have to say nighttime. Exterior Brooklyn nighttime. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then like Maeve. Maeve. Lamppost. Lamppost. Stands. Stands on the street. Can you already kind of see what's happening? 
Well, I, I think like, you know, I think a, a romance, maybe it could be mm-hmm. a love story, mm-hmm. some kind of love story, maybe a couple, Yeah. a couple wanders nearby. A couple, 20-something, lingers nearby. Can I do an inner monologue? Absolutely. Okay. We can't shine all the time. And that goes for everybody. Um, and then like maybe one of them says to the other, uh-huh. uh, honey, I'm sorry I don't have any money to take you to the movies. Maeve sees the couple so in love without a dime in their pockets. Okay, and then and then what does my, what happens with my character? Well, I think um, you know it's a movie, so you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. Her light flickers a bit with an idea. She bends at her waist, something she can do now because, well, this is a movie. She leans all the way down till she's doubled over. She offers her lamp for them to sit on. Come on, you two. Let me show you something. The couple looks at each other and sits down on Maeve's lamp. She raises herself up to her full height. They look across the street and see Singin' in the Rain just starting on the TV. I hope you like it. The couple holds hands and watches the movie. High above the street. Maeve turns on her light. The couple kicks off their shoes. And they land in its glow. And then I guess, I don't know, what do you want to do, like a star wipe? Oh yeah, to fade? Yeah. Yeah, I think star wipe is too jaunty. I think it should just be like, um... Fade to black. So yeah, that's the Everything is Alive podcast, and it was their episode from season one called Maeve Lamppost. And really, um, reading Seven the Sun and hearing that kind of around the same time, like those two ideas have sort of become uh, kind of linked in my mind of, I don't know, just uh, especially as we're entering, if you're in the US, you know, the winter is like cold and dark. So we're entering this cold, dark period and just... Some days it gets a little bit harder to find the light and you have to, you know, find your sources of light, however, however metaphorically you want to read that. So yeah, just too cute, like a book and a podcast maybe to give you some carry just a little bit of light into a dark season perhaps. Okay, now the last book in the newsletter is probably the one that I was most excited about. Uh, It's called A House That Once Was, written by Julie Fogliano and illustrated by Lane Smith. And this book was a knockout as far as I'm concerned. It had really cool illustrations and an interesting story. And I want to read the uh, artwork statement just because it'll just give you a sense of what this illustrator went through to his creative process and what he came up with. And it says, the illustrations in this book were done in two different techniques. The present day illustrations were made with India ink, drawn on vellum with a crow quill pen, then pressed while wet onto watercolor paper, creating a blotted line effect. The colors were painted in oil over gesso, then scanned and added digitally under the ink line. The imagined, quote, scenes were painted in oil paint on hot press board and scanned along with paper collage elements that were combined digitally. Now, I'm sorry, but when your artwork statement runs to more than one paragraph, uh, you have done something very labor intensive there and it shows and it's so unique. I don't know of other things that he's illustrated, but I haven't seen anything like this before as far as the illustrations go. And I I am in love with it and I want more. <laughs> so 
And this this may or may not work for you, but I'm a big fan of bands like the Lumineers and Mumford and Sons and those kind that that genre I really like a lot. And for some reason, that's what I kept thinking about with this rhyme scheme of this book. I want somebody like make this a song, please make this a music video. I would love that. I'd love to see you. The nice thing about creativity is that it's such a wonderful one person's creativity and creative effort is such a wonderful jumping off point for every other creative person, you know, like I read this book and I see these incredible illustrations and this really awesome story. And I would love to see what somebody else that's super creative could do with this. So just to give you an idea, which I'm sure somebody's going to tell me, there's no way that that would ever make a good song lyric, but you know, a person can dream. So let me dream. <laughs> um, but the one of the pages here, it's got these illustrations that I'm just in love with. And it says, at the front of the house, the house that is waiting, there's a door that is not really open, but barely. A door that is closed, but not quite. A door that is stuck between coming and going. A door that was once painted white. And I'm sorry, but if anybody who's heard a Mumford & Sons song or a Lumineer song, you tell me that they couldn't do something with that. So I, that's, that's just what I kept thinking. And I read this peek into my creative process. I read this book over and over and over. I just, I really liked it. It really hooked me when I, you know, when I was trying to put the newsletter together and think of what I wanted to say about it, just kept going back to it and rereading it. And I really enjoyed it. And I think I resonate with this particular story too, because it's these two kids in the woods who find this abandoned house and they're kind of imagining the lives of the people that live there. And it's sort of a meditation on how the people that make up a house are the ones that make it a home. But, you know, even after the people who live there are gone, the house is still, its story is still continuing. It may be rooted in place, but it's still forming a part of our imagination and our adventures. So, and it's this book, this idea of like finding this abandoned house is really personally special because it really reminded me of this trip that my dad and I took back to, I don't think this is a unique uh, Midwestern experience. A lot of us are going to have the old farmstead kind of deal. Not a lot of people whose families were uh, historically farmers aren't farmers anymore, which has been our, our family story. So there is a farm, there is a family farm, but we haven't farmed it for two generations now. But he took me up there one time. And of course, it's sad. This house where like, I guess it would be my great grandparents where they raised their children. It's, it's pretty much a ruin at this point. But everything's still there, you know? If anything that wasn't potentially useful when the last person moved out, it's still sitting there. There's uh, wood stoves and some furniture. And, and we did exactly what these kids do in the story. We were peeking through windows and he was telling me what it used to look like and things that he remembered and the outbuildings and stuff. So I was reading through this book and just, I know the stories of the people that left that house, meaning that that doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. But even still, walking around that house, you feel the lives that used to be there and the adventures that every individual life is all the individual accomplishments and the family relationships and the love like it's just it really is remarkable how much life goes on under one roof generation to generation and then families move out new families move in this house is just a constant container of life so you can get pretty metaphorical with this story too, I guess, um, however deep you'd like to take it. But I just, I just can't uh, recommend this book highly enough. And that is A House That Once Was by Julie Foliano. And I'll leave you with the final panel. It shows the house and it's got the really creative illustrations. And then it says, deep in the woods is a house, just a house that once was, but now isn't a home. 
So I loved the illustrations. I thought the way she wrote it was really cool. And I highly recommend that one. And then one book that wasn't recently released, but I wanted to talk about it here on the podcast because I checked it out a few years ago and it really, really spoke to me. And as we're, you know, getting ready to do Thanksgiving and have the seasons of family get togethers and people are thinking about family stories and family history and that sort of thing, I thought I would bring up this book and it's called Orani, O-R-A-N-I. And it was written by Claire Nivola. And it's a story about her father's Mediterranean island of Sardinia and the village of Orani that they are from and her experiences visiting this place that was so important to him. And the book synopsis says, it was there that her father had been born, one of 10 children in a family so poor that he had to share a bed with five of his siblings. And it was there when Claire returned with him years later that she learned about life and death, about the ways of nature and of the human family. In her tribute to this village where life was lived close to the earth, Claire Nivola invites us in to the labyrinthine cobbled streets where she and her cousins ran free, encountering surprises at every turn. Orani becomes a tangible world that we can all marvel at and love. And the illustrations are really unique, very Mediterranean. She's done a really nice job of capturing that orange tiled roofs and kind of that olive green, sort of a dullish olive green for the foothills and the mountains and everything. And then she's got all these pops of the color blue, this really like I guess I would call it like a cobalt blue. And it really, everywhere that she uses it, it just punches the color up a little bit. So that to me is very Mediterranean. Um, Some people might have a different definition of that, but it just kind of goes through different scenarios in the life of a small village. You know, it's um, children playing, families gathering. There's uh, the thing about this book in particular that I like is that it really captures the the close-knit community and the uh, inter-reliance. There's a there's one page where they're talking about the family meal and it's we pause to eat around tables covered with a simple cotton cloth in kitchens filled with aunts uncles and cousins all speaking at once the cheese came from someone's cow the honey from someone's bees and it says uh, later on in the story it says and if i was lucky and a wedding took place during my stay it lasted three days and three nights with plates stacked high for all the feasting at day's end a circle dance formed each person linked arm in arm in a living chain and so I like this book on its own, you know, it's just a, it's a really beautiful, interesting children's book, but I thought it would be really appropriate for the Thanksgiving idea and for this time that we'll be gathering with our own families, um, hopefully, um, with people we love, and just sort of a reflection about if our lives don't look a whole lot like that, if we're not if we're not necessarily part of a tight-knit community, and that's something that we would like to be. I recognize that not everybody wants that, so, but, you know, this is the time of year where it's like, maybe if your community, if you're noticing that it's not as tight-knit as you would like, or you'd like to, I think this is the perfect time of year to start exploring different ways that you can reach out, um, make more community connections, and one of the best ways to do that is to just to look for ways to start inviting more face-to-face contact into your life. Like, I'm just thinking mostly of things like, and and I know that this isn't like a one-fix-all solution, but things like Small Business Saturday, homemade kind of gifts, like experience gifts instead of material gifts, like that sort of deal. Just small beginning steps to like make your community look more like these old world communities. They, I recognize that they weren't perfect, but... I think more and more we're starting to understand that like small tight-knit community face-to-face contact is so important. I'm thinking of this one book that I read not too, I think it was over the summer, 
sorry, I'm trying to think of the title off the top of my head. It was a Rod Dreyer book that he wrote. It was a memoir to his sister who had passed away from cancer. I think it was called The Little Way of Ruthie Lemming. I think that's what it was called. But of course, I read the picture book a long time ago, but reading that memoir about her really made me think of this, of like the importance, not just when you are facing an illness like she did, but just the importance of having relationships face-to-face contact, ongoing daily uh, interactions with the people in your own community and how important that is. So sorry if I rambled a little bit about that. I like this book a lot. And to be fair, the author, Claire Nivola, her character does go back home to New York City, you know, as a, as a girl. I guess that's where she lived as a girl. And it says, um, it seems strange that no one knew Orani, but then what different world, I wondered. What Orani of their own might they have known before they traveled here? So kind of making the case for the idea that, like, you can bring community with you. Community looks different for everybody. And even in a place as big as New York City, you can have tight-knit community of your own. One other thing that I will say about the Irani picture book is that she does have a really nice author's note and she kind of makes the brings up the point that even though this was 1950s that she's trying to capture here that even though there was a lot of rebuilding going on and the war had devastated so much that even at that point the conditions and the life in this village was markedly better than it had been for her father in like the early 1900s so I thought that was a really interesting point that she makes about that. And then she ends the author's note with a really beautiful sentiment. And I just, this is kind of what I want to leave you with as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, as we kind of close out this podcast and kind of get ready for the holidays and that sort of thing. And as as we're thinking about community, and she says, the world is always changing. That little world too, which I have tried to paint for you in all its immediacy continues to change. And yet each time I go back, I feel again that charge, something more real and alive than I experience in any other place. Human contact is immediate, warm, and intense. We are in a valley. The sky is overhead, and around us the gentle mountains. I am once again at life center. So thank you for joining me for this month's recommendations and the picture book newsletter. If you would like to leave feedback or have any questions for me, you can send me an email at admin at aanpodcast.com. You can comment directly on the show notes on the website at www.aanpodcast.com, or you can um, absolutely feel free to send me a direct message on the Instagram page, and I will do my best to get back to everyone who tries to contact me about the show. And I hope you have a great rest of your day, and if you're in the U.S., I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving.